Hi, this is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood, and often we may not feel good enough. I am here today with Dr. Karen Bears. Hi. Hi. (laughs) We are here to help you face these challenges head on. Dr. Bearers is an assistant professor in psychiatry and behavioral health. But really, she's, if you want to know what she does and how she thinks, she's a clinical psychologist who specializes in autism and helping parents with disruptive behavior. She is here at Seattle Children's Autism Center and is here today to really talk ultimately about how to help parents who are suffering amid behaviors that really disrupt their lives, disrupt their children's lives. Um, and really upset the kind of harmony in a home. And I think, to be frank, I think this advice really can trickle out to any of us. So your child may or may not carry a diagnosis of on the autism spectrum. They may have, uh, you know, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. They may have really high anxiety. Or you may just feel they're kind of wired in a way that makes them like agitators. <laughs> so I think you can help us with all of that. Um, Dr. Bears trained at the University of Florida for her undergraduate degree, her master's, and her PhD. And then she moved to Yale University, where she did postdoctoral studies, and then really started to kind of perfect and think on the kind of intersection of parent-child and therapy and divine, devising and using um, autism spectrum disorders, um, their kind of typical behaviors to help define how parents can respond and understand mm-hmm. the disruptions. That was a mouthful, but thank you. Yeah, so you're going to basically teach us all these things. So um, first and foremost, you know, I mean, where do you think the suffering for families who have dis- kids with disruptive behaviors kind of comes from? And in your experience, like, what does it feel like to you? What do you? What have you learned from families that have such challenging homes that way? Yeah, well, I, uh, I will say one of the most common things that I hear from families when they're first coming into the treatment is this feeling that they're walking on eggshells with their child. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's oftentimes this sense that the behaviors feel unpredictable. They don't know what's going to set it off, when it's going to happen, what it's going to look like. And so there's kind of always this sense of, I need to watch what I do. I'm afraid what I'm about to ask him or her to do is going to set him off. Um, And and so really kind of this pervasive sense of... um, you know, worry, fearfulness that 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 something's going to trigger behavior, and so there's that constant. I'm walking on eggshells. I don't know when when they're going to break. Yeah, it's almost like dread mm-hmm. that you're the parent that you don't want to be in that moment, even though you don't even know you're doing it. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, in that sense, is are there certain times that you've experienced during development for children on the autism spectrum? Like, are there trigger times? So, is it are there certain times in the journey of a child life, toddlerhood, or school age or adolescence that you think are toughest for families with disruptive behaviors? Yeah, I, I would say interestingly, not necessarily. I mean, I've had kids that come in at eighteen months, two years that already have some pretty pronounced challenging behaviors. In fact, I was just recently. <laughs> I bet. I yeah, mean, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually. I had a, a family. Who who their their son had just turned two and was actually engaging in some pretty significant um, headbanging, so a self-injurious mm-hmm. behavior. Yeah, um, we also see that in our, no, our older and regularly kids. developing yeah. kids too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and everything in between. Um, so it's certainly you know not that oh expect it if it's going to happen it's going to start at a certain age point. We really can kind of see it kind of uh, manifest at any point in time and sometimes um, very early on in life. 
So tell tell us about, you know, when we say disruptive behaviors is a really medical term for families and grandparents and mm-hmm. even neighbors. You know, what are those in children on the autism spectrum? What are disruptive behaviors? Yes. I mean, what are typical? They are, I'll say what they are in the autism spectrum is what we see off of the spectrum as well. But of it's, course. you know, tantrums. So that could be screaming, falling on the floor, um, hitting, yelling, uh, being aggressive. So, and that can be directed towards siblings, towards parents. It can be destructive behavior. So we have kids who, you know, when they're upset, they might pick something up and throw it, throw it on the floor, throw it at somebody. Um, We also have what we call verbal aggression. So it may be saying things that are Uh hurtful or threatening. Sometimes we have some cursing. Uh Um, And then sometimes we get into those more self-injurious behaviors where the the disruptive behavior is actually directed towards the child, him or herself. So Mm. biting their arm, hitting their head with their hand, hitting their head against a wall. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is of course, so upsetting to mm-hmm. witness, right? Understandably, yep. I remember my child is not on the autism spectrum, and I remember when he was, I don't know, probably between 18 and 24 months, he was doing head banging. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember, you know, and I know the typical advice we do in general pediatrics for the public is, you know, ignore the mm-hmm. behavior. Mm-hmm. They won't typically, you know, cause tissue injury or mm-hmm. really ca- cause self-harm. Mm-hmm. And if you give any energy to it, right, you kind of provide reinforcement and negative reinforcement is reinforcement of us. So, but I started realizing that he was proving to me that this was about, you know, getting something he wanted where all of a sudden he started headbanging, but he would crawl over the carpet first. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He'd be like on the hardwoods (laughs) freaking out. Strategically. And then all of a sudden strategically he'd like crawl over to the carpet and do it. I was like, oh, buddy, I've got your game. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, I'm on to you, brother. So, um, but you know, I think in children on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. sometimes, of course, the communication is challenged yes, yeah. in a different way than a child who's normally developing. Is there so are there are there certain themes in that regard of how parents, you know, from the beginning learn how to respond when maybe communication's a challenge that you've learned? Yes. Well, and I will say that's a great point. When we think about kids with ASD, many of them have uh, either very limited language or impaired language skills, or I say even kids who are very verbal mm-hmm. lose that ability to tap into their language when they become frustrated or overwhelmed. So communication is a really big part of it. Um, and I and what I tell all of my parents is that behaviors are a form of communication. Communication. When a child is hitting their head, they might be saying, this is too hard for me. Or when they're hitting their brother, they might be, that's their way of saying, give that back to me. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, mom's on the phone and we start pulling on their shirt. That's our way of saying, pay attention to me. So we do think of behaviors of, as uh, being very communicative. And certainly in children with autism, if they have, especially if they have that vulnerability in their language skills, they're even more reliant on their behaviors. Um, and, and that lends parents to have to uh, sometimes try to decipher what the child's saying through those behaviors um, uh, and sometimes respond to them because that's the tool they have, even if it's not the best idea to respond to, to the problem behavior in particular. Yeah. It makes me think of this tweet I saw this morning from Alan Elda, who is working on kind of the science of communication. Mm-hmm. And he was quoting, I guess it's a misattributed quote to Bernard Shaw, but it's kind of like the most dangerous communication is the illusion that it's occurred. Mm. <laughs> you know, kind of the idea that a child's communicating to you and you're not getting it. Mm-hmm. And so part of the disruptive behavior is the illusion that communications occur. The mm-hmm. child thinks they're communicating to you, mm-hmm. and you're not hearing the communication yeah, in that way yeah. in some ways, right? Yeah. That I have some parents that you know, they end up playing the guessing game of, you know, the child's melting on the floor, and they're holding up, do you want this? Do you want that? What, you know, yeah. trying to— it, 
try to decipher in, in some instances what the child is trying to communicate to that behavior because it's not a, a clear communicative bid. Yeah. And that's a good thing to do? Uh, I would say the goal would be to teach the child, even if they don't have the words, a new behavior that communicates the same thing but is not disruptive. So a child uh-huh. who wants the juice and doesn't know how to say juice, um, you know, their current mode of, of communicating might be to puddle on the floor in front of the refrigerator. If we can instead teach the child, you know, here's a picture of juice. If you hand me the picture or if you sign juice, I can give you the juice. The the picture and the sign is much is communicating the same thing as the tantrum, but it's much more appropriate and certainly probably going to be more effective than, than the tantrum. Yeah. So you know kind of that recent findings suggest that some of the most stressful parts of parenting a child are these disruptive mm-hmm. behaviors. Um, what is the research on that? I mean, how, how, do we, how do we know that? I mean, is that – I mean, I, that's my instinct, right? Like, it seems awful and challenging. Yes. And yet, what does research tell us? Like, how does it illuminate the way forward for you in, in making these parenting plans? Yes. Well, again, you, you bring up there – there has been some research actually linking kind of looking at stresses around, you know, the, the facets of raising a child with autism, whether it's, you know, navigating the, the educational process, the medical systems, et cetera, mm-hmm. versus kind of the challenges specific to the, to the behavior problems that we see. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing some data that suggests it's the it's the challenging behaviors that is the most stressful part of parenting. Um, we also know this is important because up to 50% of kids with ASD have these disruptive behaviors. So it's not a infrequent occurrence. It's many of our families are are dealing with these struggles of of, of um, really encountering kind of pretty challenging and striking behaviors on a daily basis. Are there some children, so you know, you're saying about half, are, mm-hmm. are there some children that will always have these disruptive behaviors? I mean, are, is communication limited sometimes in children with autism spectrum disorders that you may cope and you may learn to cope better with it from families, but this will always kind of come back, not to bite you, I don't mm-hmm. mean it that way, but but that disruptive behavior, you know, I mean, just, there's some people that are just kind of wired to be mm-hmm. provoking, right? Yeah. And then there's some people who are wired, um, you know, I mean, I'm just kind of, are there kids who even when a parenting plan and, and kind of ease and maybe the the kind of anguish that yeah. they feel is supported by what you learn of why do these happen? Well, some children just always do it to communicate because they don't have other ways to do yeah, communication. Yeah, I, I, I think that goes. I would say the 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 short answer is. You know, from a from a behavioral perspective, any behavior can be changed. Even those kind of tough customers, you know, that you know, that's kind of their go-to are those disruptive behaviors. We would we would say that those behaviors can be changed. Part of it is giving them better tools that meet the same need, but are much more effective or functional. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of it is teaching parents the the school the, the skills to be more adept. I think you know, a really nice example I like to give parents is you know, if you have more than one child in your home, you're probably starting off parenting them very similar. And you notice Uh what you do works great with one or most of your kids, but you have one child that it just isn't clicking the same way. And so it's not that that those behaviors can't be changed. It's just sometimes it takes a different skill set that's maybe not intuitive, but that can be taught to help the child be successful. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, is there data about how disruptive behaviors affect quality of life? I mean, is a family with a child with autism spectrum disorder, are they likely to have a lower quality of life? Yes, I think that that's the challenge. So we, we see a, a good number of children with ASD have these disruptive behaviors, and th- those behaviors impact multiple facets of life. So it's, you know, the ability to, to go out and enjoy the community. It's the ability to make use of, you know, 
educational services, therapies. It's the ability for the family to feel like they can kind of just get through the day in a, in a smooth way. You know, there's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a challenge that unfortunately kind of impacts multiple parts of family functioning in the home, in the community, across settings. Yeah. Yeah. But, and then translates to the school environment or mm-hmm. translates to anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So what's the, what's the program? I mean, tell us what you've learned. And then in the program that you've developed, what it, what's the spine of that program? I mean, what do you do over, it's an 11 week program, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. yes. That where families go and get support from you at how to react to disruptive behaviors. Like tell us about that and the research behind it. I know you published in pediatrics as well, but yeah. w- what makes up that program, since many families don't get to that program, yes. right? How, how can families learn from you today uh, about what's in that? Yeah. So the program is is based on principles of applied behavior analysis. So if you have a child with autism, that's probably a term or a type of therapy you've heard a lot about because it is the gold standard recommended therapy. Um, the way that that usually looks is, you know, services within the school or services in the community where the child works with the therapist. What we've done is kind of taken the principles that are being used in those settings and have figured out how we can teach parents those same strategies. And so it's, it is an 11-session program that's based on principles of applied behavior analysis. And what that means is just that we think that behaviors that we see – good or bad, are learned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... That's always so damning, <laughs> right? Like, that's the, that's the damning part of yes. parenthood in general. Yes. It's like everything's learned. Yes. And you're like, shoot, because I'm the biggest model because yes. I spend the most time yes. with my kid or whatever it is. Well, yeah. I, I like... I, the way that I like to reframe with parents is that, you know, because that can sound a little bit like, well, what did I, you know... I don't what bang did my I head. Do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I say most of the kids that show up in my clinic, they're here because they are... I use the term strong-willed. They're uh-huh. strong-willed kids, right? It's like the spirited word. Yes. Yeah, my son is—one of my sons is very, very spirited. spirited. Yes. Uh-huh. It's and a nice way to say, you know, like, he's so agitated, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, yeah just, just persistent, <laughs> determined. I say there's many facets of life. <laughs> that yeah. personality trait will be helpful, but sometimes in the context of parenting, it can make things difficult. Yeah. And so um, the idea is kind of if we appreciate that behaviors are learned um, and we appreciate that we have a kiddo that, like, once he's kind of figured something out, he's going to stick with it a little longer than the than the average kid, um, we can work with the family to figure out what are some ways that we can either help the child unlearn that behavior or learn a new, a more appropriate skill or behavior in its place, mm-hmm. right? And then that's really where the work begins. It's, it's, it's really thinking about what's going on with the behavior, what's setting the behaviors off, what's currently, what are the parents currently doing in response, and seeing if we can't change things to kind of disconnect for the child that, you know, that behavior currently works for me, you know, to get what I want or to get out of something. I'm realizing as mom and dad are changing things, it's no longer working. So maybe I should stop doing it. There's no point in doing it anymore. Because mm-hmm. they're not getting reinforcement exactly. for it. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of it's that working. model again yeah. of reaction. Yeah. But it isn't always um, just non-reaction to it. Like mm-hmm. in one of the writing pieces that you wrote, you were, you know, chatting about a child who's having trouble and doing something in school and then gets kicked out of class. And mm-hmm. in the end, like... That punishment is actually the reward they were looking for. Yes. Like they wanted out of class, right? Yes. So it, are there situations where, you know, because I think the general pediatric is, as I've been trained yeah. as a pediatrician, you know, of just saying don't ignore the behavior. Yeah. Ignore the behavior. Yeah. If you give any attention to it to that point, again, it's negative reinforcement and reinforcement is reinforcement. Yeah. But are there – is that different with children who have are on the autism spectrum? Yeah. I mean – I think that the key really is that it's more important to figure out why the behavior is occurring so that you can get a better sense of whether you should be using ignoring versus something else. So that example of the kid in the classroom is one of my favorite examples. You have two kids. 
They're both given their math class assignment. They both turn it into paper airplanes. They both start chatting with their neighbors. Both kids are kicked out of the classroom, which is a really logical consequence, right? The kids are being disruptive. Get them out of there. Right. One kid hates doing math work. So this logical consequence is actually going to reinforce his behaviors because he's going to figure out, boy, every time I don't want to do something, if I just act up, I get out. Right. So he's, we, we say he's a kid that is trying to escape the demand. Uh-huh. The other kid who's doing the exact same behaviors loves being the class clown. He loves everyone's attention. He loves everyone's looking at him. You send that kid out of the classroom, you've actually made a really good choice because you are addressing the reason why the behavior's occurring. I, I Because you're taking e- away the reward that he's looking for. Exa- right? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I, I use that example with parents because what oftentimes happens when, when parents show up to treatment is they're like, I need to fix the tantrum. I need to fix the hitting. And what I say is like, it's good to know what the behavior is, but fixing it is about changing what's going on around it. It's not about the behavior itself. It's about how it is being responded to. So if we know kid number one is acting up because he wants to get out of his class assignment, well, the first thing we're going to do is make sure he's not allowed to escape. But I might put supports in place. I might make sure that he's not given the whole math sheet, but he's maybe just given two problems. And if he does so two problems, then he might get a reward. Or I make sure the teacher stays by him knowing math is hard for him. But I scaffold and I create the treatment plan around knowing the reason why this behavior is happening is because this kid wants to get out of it. The other kid who wants the attention, I might say, you know what, bud? You do your worksheet and then you can stand in front of the class and tell three jokes. So get your attention, but it's for doing the right behavior instead of the inappropriate. But again, on the surface, those behaviors were identical, right? Uh-huh. They looked exactly the same. Yeah. But what was driving the behaviors was completely different. And that's what I need that's the information I need to know to figure out what am I gonna do about it. So in you know, when I did some podcasts on parenting children with ADHD, one of the things we talked a lot about was kind of immediate reward. That mm-hmm. you can't kind of disassociate reward mm-hmm. from from good behavior. Yeah. And the I remember the other teaching was really kind of a three to one, that you want to praise mm-hmm. three times the amount of times that you're providing negative feedback. Is that true in your models as well for inhibiting disruptive behavior mm-hmm. that you spend a lot of time in the, in kind of the the balance of mm-hmm. praise and reinforcement, positive reinforcement yes. and reward. Yes, we're very we're very sensitive to that point, you know, that we want that connection to be made between the behavior and the reward and that's that's solidified when there's kind of it's close in time, right? Yep. Um the the interesting piece about what you said though is you know, we are a little more um, sensitive to the role of social reinforcement in particular, right? If we think about children with autism, which is at its core a, a difficulties in social communication, social uh-huh. interaction, um, there, there are lots of kids with ASD where social reinforcement is very motivating, but there's, there's some kids where that's not the key, right? So we always say praise, 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 you know, really focus on the good. Um, but sometimes we might need a little bit more than just that social reinforcement to be the, the motivator for change. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 That it is. Um, so as we kind of wrap this up— um, you know, what's the most important message for families who have challenges with a child with ADHD, with autism spectrum, or typically developing child with a lot of disruptive behaviors? Mm-hmm. I mean, what's the take home here? Uh, well, it's, it's actually something you brought up earlier. It's the, it's the idea that it's not a life sentence if you have a child with challenging behaviors, that if, if we can really, we have lots of lots of data and research to support not just within ASD, but in the broader child mental health um, community that 
with some support around modifying kind of beha- uh, parenting approaches, that behavior change is really uh, feasible, possible, and, and, and taking kids who, you know, it, at one point in time are really challenging to a place where they're what we would call in the, within the normative range. I always say I'll never get a kid to never misbehave, yeah. ever. That's right. Uh, yeah. But it's, you know, that the intensity and frequency is, is normal. And then I think more importantly, this is what I love about parenting work, is it's about empowering the parents so that in those moments when those difficulties do arise, they no longer feel like they're walking on eggshells. Yeah. They feel empowered to be able to affect change when when those moments do arise. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think what you're saying in some ways is there's research that parenting strategies and support change quality of life mm-hmm. at the degree of suffering and the amount of disruptive behaviors. Mm-hmm. And if about half of kids on the autism spectrum have these disruptive behaviors, engaging in and getting the support can really change not mm-hmm. just a child's life, but a family's life. Absolutely. And, and not everyone can do your 11-week program. I, a couple questions. Do you have parenting books that address this that you like? Is there a book out there that families could read about this in some ways and kind of self teach themselves, or do you feel like this has to be done in person with a psychologist like yourself? Um, there, I will say there's definitely lots of books out there. I don't, yeah. I don't have a particular recommendation, but I think if you were to go on and, you know, Amazon, you yeah. get anything on Amazon, right? Yeah. Uh, your, um, you know, parenting and autism or just parenting challenges. Well, they can't behaviors. get you on Amazon. That's my, that's no. the problem. But they can, but, but yes. they can get, and that's kind of my question. I mean, there's probably a lot of support you can nudge, right, for yes. families, right, in reading. Yes. Um, we'll put on the blog, you, I'll let you think about it. Maybe okay. we can think of some resources sure. and we'll cure that I mean, we'll put it on there, but but you're. I think I just want to understand. I mean, if do you think some people really need the support of a psychologist with this disruptive behavior? That it's something that has to be done in person. Um, I I, I think sometimes it can be tricky enough that that a little bit of extra support can be helpful. Yeah. You know what? I think what happens sometimes with uh, you know either reading a book or attending a workshop is like the idea is presented. Oh, I need to reinforce. You know some behavior and there's that attempt to try it and then something doesn't go quite right uh-huh. that's kind the place the- where you know having someone to provide a little bit of support and problem solving usually when I encounter that it's just a little tweak that gets uh-huh. it on track right um, you know what I will say is for kids with ASD they oftentimes have a, 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 a decent hopefully a decent kind of treatment community it's whether it's the schools or the the, t- the teachers uh-huh. um, the special ed teacher or the speech therapist therapist or the ABA therapist that is working with them. Mm-hmm. My biggest thing is just to, to, to say to parents to advocate for yourself. You may have situations where you know, the therapist picks up the kid and, you know, takes them in the room for their 45 minutes. Yep. And to, to say, you know, I, I would love the opportunity to take what you're doing and, and keep it keep it on, you know, keep going on with it. Um, what what suggestions do you have for me? Because that may not be, mm. you know, the, you know, a, a frequent occurrence in the context of treatment to, a, to advocate. Kind of make sure you go home with homework yeah, as a parent. Ask, ask uh-huh. those questions. Ask, ask for that, you know, c- carryover. Ask for those those strategies from, from the providers that are working with the child. And, you know, it's not, I'm not the only one with this knowledge. It's, you know, there yeah. are lots of providers that can. It's sometimes it's just, you know, asking, asking that, that question asking um, 
for, for that, a little bit of information to, to be able to carry on um, in the home. Yeah. yeah, kind of coaching and homework mm-hmm. at home yeah. to give you that support. Yeah. Um, well, so thank you so much. We know that parenting a child on the autism spectrum and with significant disruptive behaviors is harder than children who aren't doing that for mm-hmm. families. And I think to you, I, I feel inspired in ways that you believe that the research and your curriculum in particular is shown to have these positive effects in decreasing these disruptive behaviors and bringing kind of a sense of harmony to families. So yes. thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, we'll put more on Seattle Mama Doc. Um, thanks, Dr. Beers, for being here. The reality is parenting is a high-stakes job, and the good news is you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at SeattleMamaDoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 